Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for June has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week may need no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. This is John Gruber, the inventor behind the plain text markup language Markdown, the blogger behind Daring Fireball, host of the talk show podcast, and all-around internet celebrity. Great to have you here, John. Welcome to Systematic. Uh, thanks, Brett. Good to be here. So, I guess top top news. You recently released, uh, along with Brent Simmons and Dave Wiskus, um, an app called Vesper for iPhone. Uh, true. Just true. before WWDC. Right. And um, it's a, would you call it a journal or a note-taking app? I think note-taking, because it's a broader, it, it makes no assumptions as to what you're doing with it. You could One could certainly use it as a journaling app, uh, but it doesn't impose that. I think right. it tries to be at a in broad strokes in a high level. It tries to be no more uh, assumptive. Is that a word? Makes no it assumption. Is, it is now. Uh, no more assumptive about what you're going to do with it than say uh, a paper notebook. Sure. Okay. And really, the the one thing it adds is kind of a tagging interface for organization. And that that provides a really simple way to kind of file your notes in multiple categories, which is why I like tagging to begin with. Um, what 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 was the main motivation behind the tagging system? Uh, I think it's the same thing that you know for anybody who uses anything that uses tags instead of folders, you know, delicious or. Flickr or, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of systems that have been using tags, you know, for well over a decade, but it's that, that way that one item can have multiple tags and it's in multiple places. It, it solves to me, the tagging metaphor solves, um, a, a lot of organizational problems that traditional hierarchical, um, organizational methods fail at. You know, and I think that the hierarchical metaphor, you know, just the folders and, you know, outlining and that sort of thing, it it more mimics the real world where like a piece of paper can only be in one folder at a time unless you put that folder in another folder. Um, whereas tagging, I think, takes advantage of the way computers can sort of do magic that can't exist in the real world. So if you have one note that has two tags on it, let's say... Uh, oh, let's say Vesper and today that I can look at a list of Vesper tagged items and see everything that's related to my app. And I can look at all of my items tagged today and just see those items. And that one item is in both places. And to me, that's just, that's just the way my mind works and the way I want things to, to be organized. That is the way mine works as well. And I always make the assumption that a lot of people think like me. I've been proven wrong many a time, but I think that is a more human way to interact with the idea of a, a note. Um, or anything. I don't think it has to just apply to notes, but it, it works well, you know. And I think, you know, in, in other systems, like in, in you know, in, in a, the file system is a, is a canonical example of a hierarchical organization. And for decades, we've, you know, we've tried to work around the fact that an item can only be one and one and one and only one place in the hierarchy with, um, you know, in the Unix world, um, um, what do they call them? Aliases. With Mac, we call them sim aliases. Symlinks. Yeah. Hard links and sim, you know, soft links. And uh, that stuff always confuses the hell. I mean, I even just forgot the word symlink, but it always well, confuses me. In Unix, it can be dangerous, too, because you, you're never quite sure, unless you're paying very close attention, a file that's a hard link. You can't just remove the link without deleting contents, things right. like that. Like you don't know how the file is going to react when you perform different actions on it. It can be, uh, it, it's tagging is definitely a, a simpler way to approach things. And with, with like open meta historically, I'm sorry to get a little off track here, but with open meta uh, combined with MDLS in 
the BSD subsystem of uh, OS X, you've been able to use tags even on the command line. And now um, in a very, very similar implementation to Open Meta, Mavericks is bringing tagging directly into Finder. Are you, is that something you're going to put to use? Uh, you know, I haven't even looked at that that much yet. I've been so busy catching up from WWDC that catching up on Mavericks is actually like the la- the one thing I still haven't gotten to. Um, but it's my understanding, though, is that at least as what they've announced last week, that the tagging stuff is Mac only right now. It's not. It, I don't think it uh, has any application yet on iOS. This is true. This is true because for the same reason that Open Meta has never translated to iOS. Right. But so I don't think it applies to Vesper yet. No. No. Um, that's why I, I said don't know that it I'm would though, you know, right. And I I don't think even in in a hypothetical world where there were a Mac version of Vesper, I don't think it would apply because I think it it it's about you know, the finder tagging is about files and we wouldn't be backing Vesper notes as a one note per file type thing. So let me ask think. about let me ask about that. Uh, Vesper lacks currently any kind of sync, whether it's file export to individual files or any kind of like simple note or Dropbox or anything. Is there a reason for that, or is that a feature that's coming? Uh, well, I think our standard answer on this is good because it's both honest and you know it doesn't really actually say much. <laughs> But, you know, but our standard answer on this question is that uh, it's when you ask that, it's not even you're, you're making and you're asking a question that's not even really about sync. You're really asking why aren't there iPad and or Mac or web versions, uh, you know, clients to the same thing, because what would you sync to if, if you only have an iPhone version? Now, that's sort of a, a I'm glossing over the fact that if you if even without other clients, if it's synced to something and then your phone got dropped in the toilet or stolen or, you know, run over by a car and you needed to replace your phone uh, or what I've seen from a few unfortunate people, you know, like on Twitter and stuff like that, people who've uh, say wiped their phone to install iOS seven or something like that. Then if you had some sort of syncing backend, yes, you could get the notes. Um, back other than through iTunes backup. But uh, I, I think that's really an edge case though. I think syncing is really about when you have multiple clients and we don't have multiple clients. We have one client right now. And our goal for 1.0 is to make a really, really, really good iPhone app. And once we had that, I think it was worth shipping. I think that for me, it's not about syncing between multiple clients as much as just having universal access to anything that I write, like having it locked into any proprietary format in any application is a little frightening to me. Um, but glossing over that for a second, the the interface of Vesper is, in my opinion, outstanding. Uh, the Everything seems to be... Uh, extremely intuitive. It's exactly, everything does exactly what I expect it to do and it doesn't have any unnecessary frills. What was your role in that? Uh, we just, you know, my title officially is director and, and it's, you know, loosely based on the idea of being like a film director. Um, and the analogy breaks down at a certain point, but, um, but I was very heavily involved in that. And, and, you know, and another way that the word director could apply to skip the movie making analogy um, would just be classic art direction that I was the art director of the app. Uh, so v- very few of the actual pixels, I you know, were drawn by me or, or dictated by me. Dave Wiskus, the designer, uh, did almost all of the design work. Um, almost everything you see in Vesper starts started with a, a pixel perfect mock up from Dave that was directed by me, you know, in other words, through iterations, like Dave would say, here's my first idea for this. And I I would say, okay, that's good or bad. Or, you know, here, what if, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? And just shooting ideas, thousands of iMessages back and forth over the months, you know, back and forth until we had something that we thought, okay, now this is good enough to give to Brent to build. Here's, you know, the thing to build. Um, 
So, you know, like art direction, I guess, is one way to think about it. Sounds good. Um, would you say that, was there a lot of debate over stripping things out of the design? No, not really. And Dave had a great, he really, I mean, he wrote 99.89% of it, uh, a great blog post on um, on the, we just had, just launched it. It's at the Vesper website, vesperapp.co slash blog. It's on the, just like a, I call it a postmortem. And somebody on Twitter was giving me a hard time about that, making it sound as though the app is dead. But I always <laughs> use that term to, to, you know, say a look back at something that was just completed. And like, in a sense, 1.0 is dead, right? It's like we're right. moved on. You put it to bed. Right. Um, I think maybe it's people who've never actually shipped a 1.0 who, who <laughs> sort of don't understand that, like just how hard it is to get a 1.0 out the door. But uh, it's, it's just chock full of screenshots of the entire months long design process, including, you know, like a, a very, very different original version that Dave had come up with. Um, even before we were, the three of us were collaborating on the idea. Uh, and so early on when Dave and I first started working together, you know, our idea was let's see if we can come up with a two, three, maybe even four, but for just two people working together, four is pretty tough of getting, let's say, two, three totally different angles to take, like rough sketch starting points of this is the direction we'll go. Uh, and David already had one. And again, it's because uh, to me, the idea, the basic idea of the app, this, you know, it's just notes with tags and you can drag them up and down to set priority. Um I've shared that idea with people over. I've had the idea for, I don't know, five years. I think I, I first wrote it down in like 2008 or something like that. Um, and at first I thought maybe I could build it myself as a web thing. And then, and then, uh, you know, that was a terrible idea. And I thought about doing it with other people, but then over the years when I've had developer friends ask me, Hey, do you have any ideas for apps? I've shared that idea freely for years because I just don't think as an idea that it's all that precious you know it's almost like saying your idea for a movie is to you know have spaceships with laser guns i mean there's a lot of different ways you know it's all in the implementation the idea is not that 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 great i mean it's not that it's not great but it's not precious uh um, sure, sure so dave had actually started work on vesper you know under a different name with uh justin williams the guy who does uh uh uh, today and uh, second gear software. Yeah, and uh, uh, he's got the Dropbox text editor thing. Uh, so, oh yeah, elements, names. elements, of course. Uh, and I think it was after Justin had left uh, whatever the company is behind Hipstamatic and was looking for something new to do. And so again, I just gave them the idea. Uh, and so Dave had a mock-up that he was working on with Justin that was sort of sort of like looks like, and you can see the screenshots on our blog. Uh, it looks good, I think, it, but it looks very much like what you would think of as an iOS app from like two years ago. Um, we had that one, and then we thought, well, let's do another one. We, I wanted two or three like starting points. We had that one, and I thought, well, the next one, let's do the minimal version. Let's strip everything out and go really, really minimal, like trying not to, desperately trying at all times, not to use the words skeuomorphic or flat. Um, because I don't, I think they're, I think they've taken on such emotional meanings to people that, that it, it, it distracts you from just judging the design for what it is, but effectively to go anti skeuomorphic and more flat. Um, but really more just taking everything out until you had nothing but the minimum. Uh, and we never even we we'd started that and and immediately just locked onto it and we didn't even bother making anything doing any other we we'd completely abandoned the idea of doing a few other design directions because we were so certain that this was the right way to go so forgive me for asking if this is a dumb question but is there a web browser in here in the app yeah yeah if you tap on a link and a note it it'll... oh is that how you get there okay all right, because I was noticing that you had a 12-plus rating on iTunes, which generally only happens if there's a... Uh, That's not why we have a 12-plus rating. 
Oh, it's there actually are alcohol, tobacco, and drug use references in here? Uh, yes. If you really? go to the uh, credit screen and scroll down to the bottom. Really? You got a 12 plus for your credits? Well, uh, <laughs> here, I, I found it. Okay. Uh, here's what it actually ended up being working, I think, pretty well for us. But what happened is uh, we really wanted to ship before WWDC. I mean, our goal, our original goal for shipping. I mean, D- Dave and I started design work in November and really sort of picked up in December. Brent was still working um, at Glassboard until January something or another. I forget when Brent's first full day working on Vesper was. But Dave and I effectively had like a two-month head start doing just design before Brent even did Command-N and Xcode to start a new project. Um, and our, you know, Brent works really fast. He's, he's an amazing, amazing developer. It, it just sort of blows my mind how, how quickly things came together. Um, and I think our original realistic ship date was like May 1. Like we wanted to be in the App Store on May 1st. Uh, and we obviously, we missed that by about a month, um, which isn't too bad for slipping. But getting real close to WWDC was really, really stressful because, I mean, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, but it was the one time because all three of us were going uh, and we obviously weren't going to get any work done that week. So that would be a time where if we didn't get in before WWDC, we wouldn't get in until two weeks after WWDC because we wouldn't get anything done during that week. Right. And we had managed successfully to keep the whole thing secret. Nobody other than our hand-selected testers knew that we were doing this. And that was, you know, we really wanted to launch with the surprise of, wow, John Gruber and Brent Simmons and Dave Wiskus have been working on an app for six months. And that would have made to go into WWDC no fun at all because we wouldn't have been able to talk about it. Uh, so it was really, really stressful when we knew that it was going to be close. And so it was the week before, and we figured uh, the last we possibly wanted to announce would be Friday before WWDC. But ideally, we'd do it Thursday, which is, in fact, when we did ship. Um but we got, we I think we submitted on Monday, and then nothing happened. And Tuesday and Wednesday came, and so we asked for an expedited review on Wednesday, and got it. Um, and so we got in Wednesday night, and then we were ready to launch Thursday morning. But then we cut it that close, and so we wanted to anticipate any possible problems, and so we rated it twelve plus for alcohol and tobacco, blah blah blah. On our own. It wasn't like Apple came to us and said, you should do that. But we did it because we knew we were so close that even if we had a one-day turnaround, it would be a setback scheduling-wise. So why not just preemptively <laughs> do it ourselves? Um, and if, if we hadn't, if we had done it, let's say if we had submitted to the App Store one week earlier, then we would have gone, you know, I, I think the, the bottom rating is like four plus or all ages. I don't even know what they call it. And just waited to see if somebody on the app store team, a caught the thing in the credits and B cared about it. And if they did, then we'd resubmit with the new age. Uh, we only, I don't, and I'll bet that wouldn't have happened. I'll bet that they would not have flagged it for that. Uh, cause it's just a recipe, but we honestly did it just to, as like, a uh, let's, let's assume Murphy's law will strike us and let's preemptively do it. And so, but the funny thing is uh, it ended up being a little mini marketing coup because I saw all sorts of tweets on when we launched like the first 48 hours or so asking about why is this app rated 12 plus for alcohol and tobacco references. And it seemed like it really got people curious about it. That's that's ingenious or insidious, right? But it was not. We I didn't we didn't do it to to we did we didn't anticipate that. We just really just didn't want it to be rejected uh, uh, a day before we really needed to ship. So, do you feel that losing the tween market has greatly affected sales? (laughs) I don't think so. We (laughs) thought about that too. Like, 
uh, is there how many people would possibly not buy the app because of that? I, I really, th- you know, there's 100 million iPhone users or more than that, I guess, now in the world. So with 100 million of anybody, surely the number is greater than zero. But I can't possibly be. I don't know. I, I, I bet you could fit them all in a Volkswagen. I, I would imagine that's true. I can't imagine there are too many people that buy iPhone apps that would be that um, uh, almost Luddite. You'd have to be very religious, I think. I, I guess think. so. Yeah. I, I, you know, and who knows? Maybe I'm overestimating how many people there are who have, you know, let's say a religious, uh, 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 what's it called? I don't know. Uh, forbidding of, you know, anything to do with alcohol or tobacco. I don't know. But I, 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 but the thing that I didn't anticipate and it seemed clear on Twitter is that there'd be people who bought it because of that, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. The rebel notepad. Nice. All right. I'm going to take our first sponsor break and talk about Shopify. Uh, Shopify is a hosted e-commerce solution that allows you to set up and run your own online store in minutes. Pick a template, add your products, pick your payment processor from PayPal to Stripe to Authorize.net and ship your stuff with just a few clicks. Shopify is easy to install and sell online and there's no software to download, host, upgrade or maintain. Pick from over 100 professionally designed e-commerce templates or create your own with full control over HTML and CSS. There are no bandwidth limits and no need to worry about scaling when your store becomes popular. And every Shopify store is level one PCI DSS compliant and totally secure. All you need is something to sell. Visit shopify.com slash five by five and you'll get three months for free. Check them out today. Okay. So on, I'm not sure if I, if I can segue into this smoothly, but in the, in the spirit of the design sense behind Vesper, I the reason that I ask you questions about that is because I feel that the same thing or that that same spirit applies to your writing. Um, in in my experience over the years that I've read Daring Fireball, you are a you're a man of few words. And I feel like that's not only intentional, but possibly that you edit um, aggressively when you write. Is that is that the case? Uh I don't know. Maybe. Do you really, do you think that succinctly? I, I try to keep it so that, you know, there's two types of posts on Daring Fireball. There's the full articles and the link list items. Um, and ideally the link list items are, are one sentence at the most. Uh, of my commentary, if not counting any block quoted material. Uh, and an article is at least 750 to a thousand words, you know, cause I feel like it's at those X, you know, it, it's either a big idea that deserves a, an essay and a really thoughtful examination, or it's really just about sending you away to somewhere else to read something and just give one thought, to sort of frame it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't, especially with the link list items, I can't say that I edit much. I mean, I might just think a lot before I post perhaps if, if, if it comes across as being well done, but a lot of times too, I don't really think that much. I just know that I want to link to it and I just put the first thing that comes to my head down. Fair enough. Um, even in your long form pieces, I do, I find that you have a knack for saying, for expressing a thought in as few words as like, I edit a lot. I edit myself. I edit other people's stuff and I'm not a professional editor, but reading your stuff, I often feel like there's nothing more that I could take out. It's stripped down to the pure idea that you were trying to convey. So I, I, there's not a question there. Um, I guess I'm just explaining the original question and, um, yeah, nice work on that. Very though. kind of you to say. Uh, I do strive for that. I think, I and mean, I think you know, almost everybody agrees that that's you know, hopefully, hopefully agrees that it's the essence of good writing. You know, the old shrunken white adage: omit needless words. Right. Uh, so, 
you know, because then it, it 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 lets the you know, and it does sort of fit with the design of Vesper and the design of iOS seven, where it lets the content shine, right? Like the needless words are the extra UI Chrome around the content. Whereas right. the words that are boiled that the thought boiled that that's behind it boiled down to its essence is the the minimum and most precise words that you can use to fit the idea. There was a great Dan Quayle quote about that that I've long since forgotten. Something about excess verbosity and a whole bunch of words in the quote that detracted from its Dan Quayle, the vice president? Yeah. Yeah, he had some big words once in a while. Whatever happened to him? (laughs) I have no idea. He's not that old. He's, you know, he's probably like 60 years old. Yeah, but history is... History's kind of let him go, I think. Yeah. You you don't hear references to him much. I uh I'm I'm proud to have probably been the first person this year to have podcast the name Dan Quayle. Anyway. Um so I do Mark- I, I will say this, you talk about editing. I do edit when I write longer pieces. I do try, you know, to edit um myself. And it is, you know, it's the hardest part about being a one person operation. I think it's hard to edit yourself. Um, I often do a really bad job at catching the, um, the truly typo typos, you know, the, the extra, uh, uh, word a, you know, that if I want to say as a something, I'll write a, as a something like just a stupid extra a in there and it's not misspelled. So it doesn't get red squigglies. And because I know the sentence I want to write, I, I just gloss right over it. I can hear the sentence in my head. So when I'm looking at it, even in editing, I miss stuff like that. But, you know, my readers are great. And they usually, you know, within 10 minutes of publishing, I've all the little stupid typos have been flagged and corrected. Uh, but but I, the I, link list items, I don't really edit. I just, you know, I try to keep them short enough that they, that, that they can't be edited. Are people kind when they send you typo corrections? Oh, always. Uh, it's, you know, and everybody always typically bends over backwards and apologizes because of this whole <laughs> stupid internet idea that it's somehow inc- somehow impolite to point out uh, typos and others, you know, that somehow this has become uh, accepted that it's somehow rude to point out typos, whereas I, I love them, you know, I don't know what I would do without my readers pointing them out. Yeah, I have uh, I have a similar experience on a obviously smaller scale, but people have always been really polite. But I've written on blogs before where I mean, people would like make personal attacks if you had a typo. Yeah, I don't understand that. And I think I think on one man blogs, one one individual blogs, um, that people are more polite because they don't see it as you know, you're blogging as part of a corporate entity and how could a corporate entity ever have an A before an N? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, it just happens. You know? Yeah, there's there, there's not a lot to uh, philosophize about when it comes to asinine internet behavior. Oh, so, so does Markdown tie into your overall uh, kind of writing strategy? Was it the, the simplicity behind the syntax of Markdown? I feel like you tried... Uh, very explicitly to remove some redundancies that existed in other like previous simple, like humane markup languages and try to come up with something that could be universal. And it, and it worked, it stuck, but I'm curious about what the original, like what was the original spark to create Markdown? So I originally like the first two years or so of, daring fireball there was no there were no the link list didn't exist yet it was just the full articles maybe two three a week um uh and you know it wasn't a full-time endeavor wasn't even a money-making endeavor uh, no ads nobody had ads back then this is circa 2002 2003 um and movable type had two i think i think it had two built-in quote-unquote text filters for what happened to your posts as you put them in. Uh, the one was called convert line breaks, which meant you didn't have to, I, f- I forget what else it did. And it was always a little ambiguous, but it, I think more or less the gist of it was 
that you'd write your posts in an HTML, except you could skip the P tags and double, you know, to a blank line between, you know, blocks of text would be treated as paragraphs. And then it would put, um, P tags around that. And I think maybe it also, if you, if you just put a return in the middle of a paragraph, it would treat it as a, like a BR. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a do, do what it, do what it looks like. I mean, based on where I put returns was the only sure. thing that it did. But because it was sort of ambiguous as to what it did, I never used it. I, so I just wrote in HTML and, you know, complete HTML and put my own P tags in. Uh, but that's no way to write. So when I was writing the articles, I would write, you know, in plain text and wait and then edit. And then after I felt like it was ready to publish, then I would HTMLize everything. Um, except things like links, like a word that I wanted to link to in the middle, I would have that as HTML all along because, you know, I didn't want to forget where I wanted to put the links. And I always thought that looked like hell when you're editing, because now you've got, you know, a href quotes and a long URL, sometimes so long that it wraps to the next line. Uh, and it, and as reading it, reading the source code to, to prose that is wrapped with, you know, especially link tags because they're so long, if, especially if the URL is long, as opposed to like, let's say an M, em tag around a word you wanted to italicize but hyperlinks in particular really just look like hell in the midst of a paragraph like it just completely breaks your ability to read it as as it's going to look in the output so then you end up with things like you want preview because you want to be able to preview it so that you can see what it's actually going to look like but why i I just never made sense to me why you would need if you need a preview then i feel like the format is broken sure so, you know, and so I started looking around for an alternative and I thought, well, maybe, you know, what did I look at? Uh, textile, Dean Allen's thing. Uh, because Brad Choate, uh, who worked at Six Apart at the time, had turned Dean Allen's textile into a movable type plugin. And it was more along the lines of what I was, what I thought would look good, but it was still had a lot of, I don't know, detri- markup detritus uh, in the syntax, but I knew Dean a little bit uh, and I knew Brad. So I started emailing them and, and Brad had started adding his own ideas to text to MT textile. I think he called it. And Brad and, and uh, Dean were working on textile, I think 2.0 or some new version number. And so I started sending them ideas and Dean more or less said, he was very nice, but he's like, you know, this, these ideas are great. But I think they're way too different from what textile already is. You know, they're going to, they'd break it. So I think, you know, you should just do your own, you know, make your own thing uh, with these ideas. And so I thought, oh, you know what, that does make more sense because then I can get rid of all the other ugly stuff in textile. So I, you know, made Markdown. Sounds like the uh, a common story as far as impetus for new versions of, of existing ideas go. Yeah. Um. So... In the process, I remember uh, the kind of forums. I can't remember where most of the discussion took place, but at some point there were forums that I remember seeing you respond to new feature ideas and and kind of ruthlessly weed out. Am I re- am I recalling the right thing? Yeah, I think you're misremembering. There's a mailing list. It still is up that I host. Yeah, um, yeah. A Markdown Discuss mailing list. Um but that didn't come about until after I shipped 1.0. 1.0, right. well, I made in in secret or in private, uh, and I had a you know Aaron Schwartz was my top beta tester uh, and by far the most influential other person during the process. Um, somehow it turned into a thing where like on the Wikipedia page for Markdown for a while. I don't know if it still says I, I never look, but it, for a, a long time, for years, it said on Wikipedia for Markdown, it said that it was invented by Aaron Swartz and John Gruber, which is not true. And it's not that I want credit. And now the poor guy's dead. And I mean, I, you know, it, it's never been about credit and I never worried about fixing it, but it's not right. And I think Aaron would have been the first to say so that, you know, I'm the one who made it. He was just a, a I don't know. I don't want to say just a beta tester, but he was a 
feedback giver. Because he had yeah. his own thing, too, called ATX, A2X. Uh, it, you know, same type basic idea. Like oh, a, that's a, where the, the header styles came from, when they say ATX style headers? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Uh, right, because his thing, his ATX thing used the, uh, the, the hash marks in front of the headers, right? right. Or, or and the underline style came from C-Text, S-E-T-E-X-T, which was the format tidbits used to publish in is that how you say that c-text i guess i don't know c-text i've never heard i've never heard anyone pronounce it before uh, how would you pronounce it I, I always in my head said c-text c-text huh i always said c-text I, I, I we can we can agree to both be right or wrong i should find out i should ask adam angst i just always that thought it with only one t in the middle it would be c that's yeah you're probably would, right but you might be right though because it's it might be maybe it's like no john text. you might be right we're all right well anyway um, but what i did though it was incredibly iterative though like that's the most important thing and it's i think it's true for designing anything is that i'd come up with an idea and at first it was a lot smaller it really was sort of a just convert uh, line breaks you know to make paragraphs and uh the big thing I definitely wanted right from the beginning was a way to get hyperlinks out of the, the URLs and everything, get them out of the pros. Um, so, you know, the, the, the reference style links to get them so I can put the URLs at, at the bottom of the article or in between paragraphs or something like that. Uh, yeah. And I don't think there was much else, but then, you know, it seemed like a no brainer then to add headers and to add uh, italics and stuff like that. The only well, multi markdown added a lot of things that I do find um, extremely useful, such as tables and footnotes. Um, I, I remember reading discussions about whether or not you had any intention of adding that into the the default markdown set. But the one thing that's come out since uh, since multi markdown's introduction was um, what. Uh, cram down and a couple of other variants do where they allow you to add a class in curly brackets to any block element. I'm curious what your opinion is on that. Does that go beyond what Markdown is supposed to be? Mm, no, but the, the, all that stuff has always been a maybe for me. Um, I didn't even know that anybody had done the thing with the classes and that might even be an idea. I used to participate on that mailing list and I don't anymore, but, uh, cause I kind of feel like it's, it's effectively done and I feel like it's been helpful. And every couple of years, somebody pops up and, and complains about the fact that I'm a quote unquote poor steward or, you know, that it should be <laughs> taken away from me or something like that. Uh, you know, what's his name? Jeff Atwood, the coding horror guy is every two years, writes something about how terrible I am at leading the markdown thing. And yet in the meantime, in the interim between two years where he said I was doing a terrible job. And the next time he said I was doing a terrible job because I don't do anything and I never add anything in the meantime, markdown and web pages on daring fireball get like twice the page views that they ever did before. <laughs> uh, and there's all, you know, more and more systems every day that come out with markdown support. And I feel like part of that is actually because I don't screw around with it and it's not a spec, you know, nobody is spending. It's not, it's not something that it's okay if it's, I think it's fine if it's loosely defined and there's no official spec behind it. And, uh, and it allows people to sort of make a variant that fits their context perfectly. Um, because the way you'd want to support Markdown in something like Stack Overflow, where people are doing comments, is way different than what you'd want for me on Daring Fireball, right? On Daring Fireball, there's only one user, and he's completely trusted. So I can put <laughs> any HTML in there. Whereas in a forum, you, every user is completely untrusted, and you've got to sanitize all of the HTML. Right. Um well, and that's I've run into that developing marked my uh, my preview application too, where I had to implement. It was absolutely necessary to implement the ability to specify which processor you were using, because everybody who uses it has a different uh, end goal for what they're working on. Right. And I think that's the beauty of all the variants 
is there it can be contextualized to different types of work to different types even different personalities right so and so a lot of people complain about that but i see it as a virtue because to me there is because the thing is and whenever people complain about it what they really secretly mean they won't admit it but what if you really think about what they're asking for what they really mean is I want you to standardize Markdown on exactly what I want Markdown to yeah. be. Whereas the truth is, if if I did standardize it, it wouldn't. It would be on what me, John Gruber, wants it to be, which is not what 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 everybody else wants it to be, right? Like GitHub-flavored Markdown, which is probably my favorite variant. It's perfect for GitHub, and the changes they made... Uh, Every single one of them, I think, was is for the better, at least for GitHub, and and some of them maybe even better in, everywhere. Um, but if it was an official spec, and you know, like XML, like you were supposed to, like if you break the spec, it's you know invalidated or something like that. Then GitHub flavored GitHub's markdown would be worse. Yeah. Yeah. The um, big thing, though, about the, the the process, the thing that I think is the most interesting in hindsight, is it it didn't come out like one in one thing. It was I don't know three four months where I was working on it every single day, uh, and I'd make changes and I'd make changes that broke what I'd done before. And in the meantime, though, every single time I posted the daring fireball, I was posting using Markdown while it was in development. And that's and it, and there's no way that Markdown would have been anywhere near as good. I don't think it would have. I don't think you would have even heard of it if I had just published it the way it was when I first when it first got to the point where I could post to Daring Fireball in writing in Markdown. If I had made that the public version of Markdown, uh, I don't think anybody would have ever you know would have never really taken off because it was the fact that I kept iterating while using it for real all the improvements I made like during the next few months were because I was actually writing articles on daring fireball and I'd run into, Oh, never thought of that. Hmm. What would I do if I wanted to do this? Hmm. I guess I should change this. But then by the end of the process, I'd make some changes and I would have, you know, like uh, 18 or 19 daring fireball articles to go back and change because I'd have to fix all of the, you know, whatever rule I had just changed, I might, I might have to go back and sure. double check that I would, hadn't just broken those articles. It's but a it was, trial by fire though. Right. But it's, to me, it's the only way to make something is to, to actually use it. Totally agree. It's, it's amazing how many, or writing help doc, help documentation for something, it, actually using it in real world, world scenarios and writing the help documentation are the two ways that I always find the most bugs. And writing help documentation never fails to reveal major issues to me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I, I, that actually was pretty pretty influential too. I'm not quite sure. It, like my memory is super hazy on this because it was literally ten years ago. But uh, I think that writing the Markdown documentation in Markdown helped improve it in various ways too. I'm not gonna, it might be, I might be wrong to say that it's the only reason there's backslash escaping, but it certainly <laughs> helped though. Like it seemed to me like if you couldn't write Markdown's documentation in Markdown cleanly, then there was the problem with Markdown. And it, For you know, sure. it, it, it's a good test of, of a, of a, of a system like this because the things like block quotes and how do you tell people to use this character if that character has special meaning in your syntax? Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, all right, let's take uh, another sponsor break and then we'll get to the top three. Are you ready yet? Uh, yeah, I will be. You got two at least? Make the third one up? Yeah, I had them before. Now I forgot. I should have written them down. Well, I'll give you a good 30 seconds to thank right. you. Uh, Shutterstock.com, uh, where you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. You can choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new since they add 10,000 new images every day. And it's more affordable than you think, with no extra charge for large files. 
Any image at any size, it's all just one price. No additional charge for high-resolution versions. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use the iPad app to do this. There's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com. No credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME6 and get 30% off of any package. All right. Well, John, do you have a first one, a first top pick? Yeah, they're all related. That's awesome. They're a all theme. Um, it's, it's a website. It's a new website, relatively new website. It's called uh, the, the Sweet Home. It's uh, thesweethome.com. And uh, it's from the guys who do the wire cutter. But instead of talking about gadgets, it's uh, like stuff you'd keep in your house. Home furnishings. Yeah. And I just just love, I love their approach. It's sort of a meta, it's a meta thing. You're asking for me to pick three cool things. I've picked a website (laughs) that is all about telling you what are, what are the good things. This looks really good. I may, uh, have you seen it once in a while? No, I haven't. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I like, uh, like Sean Blanc's tools, tools and toys. Exactly. Same, Um, same mindset. Every once in a while I get the urge to just go out and buy something small, you know, like spend $15 on something, something really nice. Um, like something that would be $2 on it. Um, but yeah, that's what I go to tools and toys for. This would be a great, uh, a great resource for those moments. All right, it, it it's an attempt to answer what's the best blank, and a blank could be anything, anything and everything. And so my next two things are two things. When I when they first launched the site, I started clicking around, and there were two things that they had in their first group uh, that I already owned and which I agreed with as as being excellent picks, including one that I'd never really thought about. But then as soon as I read their article, I thought, you know what, they're right. And then I read their explanation. I was like, I never thought of that. And what it is, this is the first one, is is uh, they call it the best nail clippers for home grooming. And it's for, they're from Tweezerman. Tweezerman. Tweezerman nail clippers. And I have a Tweezerman nail. I have about three or four nail clippers. And I, I always lose them and, you know, find one on my desk or whatever. And I, I'd never really thought about the fact that all of my other ones are the ones you, everybody else has seen. They're nickel plated. These are the ones I have right here in front of me are from trim and you open it up and then it has a, uh, a little nail file underneath the lever and you can yeah. flip that out. Uh, and I noticed that my tweezer man ones, I, I, I never really thought about, but they do cut my nails better and they're just, they just work better. And their explanation is that they're real stainless steel. And all the other cheap ones that you probably everybody else probably has sitting around their house are nickel plated crap. Uh, and the tweezer man, they skip the nail file. They don't even have that stupid pull out nail file because you know what? That's a shitty nail file. Uh, it is. It's a terrible nail file. So it's like why, why even include it? Right? Do one thing and do it well. All the tweezer man ones have is all they do is have a little lever that you fold up and and you clip your nails. And they're way sharper and they work better and they just have a much better. You know, they're not slippery. They're, they're just great. And, you know, this, this isn't like telling you to buy $100 nail clippers. I, I think that, you know, they're like 6 bucks or something like that. I don't know. Or it says here $9 on Amazon. 9 bucks. Perfect. Uh, and it's funny because I, I, the only reason I even had them, though, is that I went on a trip one time and I didn't have nail clippers in my uh, little accessories bag. Uh, but my nails were way too long and it drives me nuts when they're too long. And so I just went down to the hotel lobby and bought whatever ones they had behind the counter. And they happened to be these tweezer man. And I'd only realized in hindsight that, that I bought the best ones I'd ever had. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, I always forget to pack nail clippers on trips. And after four days I get pretty nuts and I always end up buying 
clippers from the front desk um, or the, you know, nearest uh, drugstore. Yeah. But yeah, I've never had the pleasant surprise of being sold something that was like the best uh, on the best, best I'd ever had. Yeah. It was a great surprise. And here's my other one. My other one is uh, Tovalo King ice cube trays. You ever, you ever hear of these? Um, these aren't the like single big ice cube ones, are they? Uh, not, they don't do single. They, you, uh, they're, uh, just, just Google Tovolo, T-O-V-O-L-O King ice cube tray. They also have regular small ones. They're a little cube. You make like a six pack of cube ices. Nice. Cubes. Okay. But the, the Kings are the big ones. Two inches by two inches by two inches. Uh, and again, maybe more than a typical ice cube tray. It says here they're eight bucks at Amazon. But it's the best. It's the best ice cube tray you'll ever have because they're made out of like this, just the perfect material. It's this rubbery thing. The ice just pops right out nice and easy. And because it's like rubber instead of plastic, you, the ice almost slips out of it. And so you don't crack the ice as you, you know, sit there and twist the tray. Uh, it, 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 once you buy these things, you, you just can't even imagine using uh, any other kind of ice cube tray. It's so much better than any other ice cube tray I've ever seen that it, it should be legal to sell other ice cube trays. It looks gorgeous. But as soon as I saw those recommended at this, at that site, at the sweet home, I was like, these guys have good taste. Like I knew about the Tovalo Kings though. But I don't you, know what the fuchsia color though. I have the blue. Okay. Good choice. Get blue. The blue is systematic and John Gruber approved. Yeah. Just seems All like right. a natural for ice, right? Cause if you're making a cartoon, what, you know, what color would you draw the ice? You'd make it blue. <laughs> Yeah, fuchsia would be frightening. Right. All right. Well, those are awesome. Uh, a, a good theme. A good theme. I don't have a theme, um, but I have as as per my habit, I have a couple Mac apps and then a surprise. So my first pick of the week is uh, an application called Desktop Groups, and it's ten bucks on the Mac App Store and. It's from the same developer who made desktop shelves, if you've ever seen that. Uh, but what it does is give you little um, kind of pockets on your desktop that you can drop files into. And in reality, they represent uh, folders inside of uh, like an application package. And you can sync that over Dropbox. So you can have like say a to-do folder on your desktop that shows up as like a small uh, translucent black you know, drop area and you put your files into it and it, it organizes them automatically and you can shrink the group up to just the toolbar and you can make it as transparent as you want. And then you can have that so that when you open up your, your laptop, the same files that you put in your to-do folder on your desktop uh, machine show up on your laptop in the same kind of location. Uh, it's a great way to, bring the idea of Dropbox file syncing to your desktop. If you're someone who uses the desktop for organization of files, which I do try to avoid, but it is nice to be able to uh, drop them into kind of groups and categories. And I haven't decided if this is something I'm going to use frequently, but it was interesting enough that I figured I would share it. Um, my second one is Undock. You ever seen this one, John? No. Um, do you, do you use, uh, do you use a laptop? I do sometimes. Um, one of the things that I run into when I use, I use my air as my primary desktop machine these days. I hook it up to a 27 inch Thunderbolt display and, uh, and then I plug in Thunderbolt hard drives and time machine, uh, drives and all of this stuff. And when I want to unplug it, I have to unmount, I have to wait Uh. for time machine to wrap itself up. All of this stuff. Now with undock in my menu bar, um, I can just hit, well, I have my caps lock key is mapped to bizarre things, but I can hit uh, caps lock escape and it will unmount all of my external drives. It'll, it'll safely and cleanly stop time machine and it will let me know that everything's ready to go. It blinks, the little icon in the menu bar blinks until it's completely undocked and then it's safe for me to just unplug. I find it very handy. Well, that's brilliant. No, I used to, uh, I, in fact, I still do. My desktop machine is a MacBook pro, but it's, I, I've, it's the one I have at my desktop never gets unplugged anymore. It, I mean, literally for years and I have a separate air 
that I never do dock. But that was always the biggest. That was huge. That was the whole reason I even bought the Airs. I got so sick of dealing with that. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm surprised um, something like that could get in the Mac App Store. I, I'm, I'm, it doesn't seem very sandboxy. But maybe you know they got like it, an exemption. It or may, something. yeah, it may have predated sandbox. Uh, it's it's copyright 2010, so hmm. it may not have been subject to the original sandbox rules. Last updated, but that just points out that just points out how overly strict those sandboxing rules are for the Mac App Store. I agree. I, I don't agree. Know. I mean, this is a very good idea. The, the system should do this. Uh, that I totally agree with. Yeah. But, I mean, because there's an eject. I don't think there's an eject all in the system. Yeah, but really, it's possible to script. Like you can you can UE script some of that. But yeah, and it's like you said, you know, it's like you said that it does the time machine shut down the right way. You know, it's it's right. not enough just to undock. What you really want, you don't want to say, don't make me run through a checklist of everything I need to worry about before I uh, unplug everything and take this laptop away. Just do it all for me. Yes, and then tell should, me, tell me, say this machine is now in a state where you can undock it. I should mention it also can run Apple scripts during the undocking process. So if you have applications, you also want to quit or start during un- undocking. That's e- really easy to set up. And it's only $1.99. That's crazy. That is. Um, we didn't have the app pricing discussion, but I think you talked about that with uh, Daniel Jalcut recently. Is that my thinking of the right podcast? Uh, we did. I think we also talked about it on, uh, uh, Guy English and Richie, uh, Renee Richie's, uh, debug. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is where I saw that. Okay. Or heard that. Um, I'll link that episode so that we can make sure everyone understands the whole idea behind pricing an app and, and, uh, the, uh, complications there. So my third pick is, it's a Minneapolis band. I live in Minnesota, and we have a lot of good music here. Just about every state has some good music, I'm sure. But Minneapolis produces some really good artists. And there's a band that my friend Patrick Roan introduced me to recently at an app.net meetup. And not introduced me to them, but to their music. Uh, they're called Bomba de Luz, B-O-M-B-A-D-E-L-U-Z. And it's kind of a, a down-tempo, almost uh, cowboy junkie kind of uh, kind of vibe to it, but with a little, like, occasional rock, uh, some real soulful, soulful stuff. And the most interesting part of it is they are high school students. And I almost shouldn't tell you that because you have to listen to the music without that um, uh, kind of, what would, I forget the word I'm looking for, but it, to, to not have your opinion swayed from the beginning, it's almost more fun to find that out after you've decided you do or don't like the album. Prejudice. Um, what's that? Prejudice. prejudice. Thank you. Thank you. Prejudice. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't prejudice people from the beginnings. So forget I said that until after you listen to it and then remember that I said that you'll enjoy it. Uh, their stuff is on Spotify. I assume it's elsewhere. Um, I'll link their website in the show notes. And I do recommend if you like, I don't know, music, it's worth a shot. Give them a listen. I think we're starting to get, we're getting to the point now where the kids who've grown up in the internet era, uh, like really don't even remember life pre-internet. It's, it's, it, it is, uh, it's, it's almost accelerating precociousness and and precociousness (laughs) sometimes carries a negative connotation that the kid's annoying or whatever. And I just mean it in the sense of being unusually talented at a young age, but I'll bet, you know, there's a reason you didn't hear many successful bands of comprised of high school kids, you know, previously. And, you know, I see it more when I paying attention to, to sometimes an app will come to my attention and you find out it was, it's like from like a 13 year old. And it's like amazing. It's absolutely. I had a, I had a 13-year-old developer ask me if he should tell people he's 13 years old and use that to his advantage in marketing. And I had the same kind of reaction to it. I, I said, no, because you don't want to prejudice people, people's impression of your work from the beginning. Right. It's a good story to come out doing, with later after it's Yeah, exactly. Off. Exactly. And, and that's a lot how I feel about this band. But 
the high respects. They open for the high respects a lot, or occasionally anyway. And that's another band out of Minneapolis that was also born of high schoolers. Well, that sounded like a teen sex reference, but anyway. Anyway, um, so those are six awesome top picks. Three of them, not my own awesome, but that sounded um, um, self, uh, self-congratulatory. But you know what? Okay. Yeah, it's not your own work. You're promoting other stuff. You can brag about the quality of your picks because it's really more that you're bragging about the, the picks, not the picking. There you go. That's Thank you for reassuring me. Um, all right, so our third sponsor today, uh, this episode has been brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code PEARL. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you really can create your own, on, your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. As I mentioned earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you purchase, make sure you get 10% off and support Systematic by using the offer code PEARL, P-E-A-R-L. Go check out Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, so I'm going to tell people where to find you just in case there's anybody left out there who doesn't know. Why, why is the offer code PEARL? Um, what's the, uh, what's, I, I was wondering what the, uh, gem for the month of June is oh, like July know. is July is Ruby. I think June may actually be Pearl. I'm not sure if it's not that I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm not the wheeler dealer behind the offer codes and speaks to my the sick mind that I just assumed it was P E R L <laughs> or P Oh, because, yes, language. I was thinking P-U-R-L. Like no, I was thinking the programming language. Yes. Okay. That's so many different tracks going on here at once. Man, I was like, oh, that's a weird thing to make people type. What do you call the, the like, Ruby is the what of July? Gemstone? Birthstone? Gem, gemstone. Uh, birthstone, June. I'm going to check this real quick. Hmm. I would have expected better search results from birthstone June. Um, Pearl. Is it? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> I called it. Um, so anyway, you are Gruber on Twitter and app.net. And cool. you can be found at daringfireball.net where you blog um, generously. Are you ever, are you, are you, you probably get asked this a lot. And like I said, I, I pay very little attention to the world around me, but are you planning a redesign ever of Daring Fireball? Uh, yeah, it's got to get updated. I mean, it's overdue. I don't know. I mean, I, it's now I have an excuse now cause I've been working on Vesper, but, uh, <laughs> uh well, but I would like, I you know, I, I would like to, you know, redesign once and have it last another 10 years. It's done well for 10 years, but I, you need bigger type, in my opinion. Yeah, somebody tweeted Although, the other day that uh, you know, that because uh, there's a, you can go to the there's a preferences thing and you can set a cookie that changes the type, but it uh, but then it, it doesn't look good when you make it bigger at, in the current. I mean, honestly, I I rarely read anything on any website. I I am an RSS person. Well, then why are you, why are you complaining? I had to go to your website today to get some information before this talk realized wow this looks exactly the same as it did 10 years ago actually doesn't it it did there was a, a gentle redesign sometime i think around 2004 or so hold on um it's nine years ago yeah i was rounding up let's see yeah yeah 
but I'm on the wrong machine to paste the link. Hold on a second. <laughs> can you edit this out? Are you going to edit this out? I, I or, can. Or will the uncomfortable pause uh, make it in, on the air? We can make people wait. If you go to daringfireball.net, misc, M-I-S-C, and then uh, slash design slash one, you can see the original. Oh, wow, yeah. Did that work Some for you? Already there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Misc Design One, beautiful. Uh, and there were some other. Uh, the headline font has changed several times over the years. Uh, okay, well, I didn't mean to make a big deal out of it. Right. Just curious. But Just, you know, on the other hand, you could argue that this isn't even a different design; that it's you know a variation on what I still have today. Uh, you lost your tagline. I forgot about that Mac punditry and curmudgeonry tagline. I used to have it. Then I had like a rotating series of of uh, taglines. Yeah, the best was the, and the, the best was when I had for a couple of weeks uh, insightful and not negative. <laughs> but then I, I got away from the, the tagline thing. I got away from. All right. Too hard. All right. Is there anywhere else? Should I link the talk show? Oh, if you want to, but then you know, but that's too many links already. No, it's never too many links. I think that I think a sign of a good episode is thousands of links. All right, well then put Vesper in too. Absolutely, that's already in my in my queue. Um, it's nice. Right. That's another thing too. That's fun with Vesper is it's the first thing I've done with other people in a long, long time, and it's nice. It feels because if you know, it feels like. With the talk show and with especially with Daring Fireball, it's just me, and so any kind of promotion I do feels self-aggrandizing. But with Vesper, I can say like, "Look, Brent, Brent, and Dave put so much work into this that you know, it's like I'm being generous by telling people to go there and buy it, and check it out." Collaboration feels good, huh? Yeah, definitely. Nice. All right. Well, that wraps up episode. Three. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming here, John. Thank you. And uh, I will definitely be uh, checking out this, uh, these home furnishings, home... What? My vocabulary fails me today, but that website you linked is going to be a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, sweet home. Sweet home, thank you. Know you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to... I'm taking my own advice to heart. I'm going to take all these other crappy nail clippers I have here. I'm going to throw them out and buy replacements from Beautiful. All right. Thanks again. I will talk to you in the future. Thanks. Thanks.